Welcome back, everybody, to Naturally Educated. And on today's episode, we're talking about restoring marine ecosystems for corals and mangroves. And our guest today is Thomas Merzi, the biodiversity and environmental genomics R&D leader at Total Energy. As always, your host, I'm Majid Al-Qasimi, and with me... Abdurrahman Zabi. good to be with you guys. So just before we kick in with the show, I want to remind you guys how you can get in touch with us. Reach out with your comments or even a story to tell and tell us what you think. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Environment Abu Dhabi as one word, or find us on our website and on YouTube at Environment Agency Abu Dhabi. Give us a like, hit subscribe wherever you find or listen to your podcasts. Well, listen, Abderrahman, I'm super looking forward to this conversation. We're going to be able to speak to somebody who's got an international perspective and corals and mangroves I don't know all that much about. So I'm going to be educated in this episode for sure. Absolutely. Looking forward. Obviously, in the UAE, we know that we have both of those uh, ecosystems and that uh, that international perspective is going to really, really help us understand more about what we have. So let's turn to our guest, Thomas Merzi. He's the biodiversity and environmental genomics R&D leader at Total Energies. Thomas, thank you very much for being on the show. Hi, thank you. Let's take the sort of big picture here. Um, you obviously have a lot of work that relates to biodiversity and the environment, but can you explain to us um, what the importance are of mangroves in an ecosystem or globally for that matter? Yeah, sure. Mangroves are really essential ecosystems for um, biodiversity because they mm -hmm. are a great reservoir of biodiversity. And of course, also about the local communities. They provide many services to local communities, providing them resources, protection from uh, adaptation to climate change, etc., etc. So they are, they are really unique ecosystem in terms of the, the services they provide to both biodiversity and, and, and people. A part of what you do as well at Total is focus on corals. And I want to understand from your perspective, what does corals in general around the world uh, have in significance when it comes to the environment? Yeah, again, coral reefs are, are really uh, not unique because we just talked about mangroves, but they are just <laughs> as amazing uh, ecosystem in the marine realm. Corals, they cover only a small fraction of the seascape, mm -hmm. about 2% maybe, oh, wow. worldwide. Mm -hmm. And they cover more than 25% of the global marine biodiversity. Oh, wow. So you see the, the ratio between the, the surface and the quality and the quantity of biodiversity around those two ecosystems. Corals are, are again, essential for biodiversity, great hotspots in the marine realm. And also, as before for the mangrove, mangroves are protecting the shoreline mm -hmm. uh, from storms, uh, waves, rising sea level, etc. And uh, coral as well uh, play that role in um, the attenuation of the swell, yeah. in the, the protection, not directly on the shoreline, but upfront uh, for all this energy coming to the, to, to the coast. So you've got this subsurface ecosystem and this sort of above surface ecosystem, and they're both creating these services that are critical to protecting shoreline or other localities. I, I do want to sort of ask the basic question. So what is a mangrove? I mean, if some of the listeners have seen or know what a mangrove is, they see maybe a, a plant. But we have in Abu Dhabi about 
76 kilometers squared of mangrove and people will say that's mangrove but do they understand really what it is i'd love to hear more of an in-depth answer so basically mangrove are marine forests all right so a mangrove is a forest it's a unique forest on the coastline they have a, a lot of variety mm-hmm. but at the same time only about 70 species worldwide oh there are that many species i didn't know that yeah incredible i am they are home to thousands of species, mm-hmm. but the number of uh, trees, yeah. different species, you have only 70 worldwide in all different types of mangrove. They are usually organized in some sort of uh, layers oh, right. from the shoreline up inland with a diversity of different uh, types of species. Oh, within uh, a single forest? Within a single forest, you have several layers mm. from the shoreline. The one exposed to the tidal effect and the one that are more adapted to the water from the one that will be more inland and less exposed to the seawater. Here I thought it was all one species, just expanding. Usually in, in one typical mangrove, let's say in UAE, for instance, you will have about eight to 10 different species. Amazing. I like the fact that you refer to it as a forest. So now that you know I live in Abu Dhabi, people tell me that it's a desert or whatever. Now I can use that as an excuse to say, actually... I love that. Yeah, we we have a forest, believe it or not. Just, you know, look at the water. <laughs> this is it. A lot of people will be like, oh, you don't have any forests out there. I'm like, oh, we do. They're just in the water. Thank you very much. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Speaking about mangroves, the issue comes up a lot uh, during this season when it comes to climate change and addressing climate change. And I guess mangroves in that way helps us understand a lot about this topic. So help us understand how do mangroves help regulate climate change impacts and help protect our shorelines? How do they do that? Yeah, so mangroves are essential in that in that matter. We should rely to two crises that we're facing, climate change and biodiversity crisis. And the solution will be if we assess both crises on the same level and with the same solutions. There, mangrove is a great solution to answer both of those crises. So they will play a role in the adaptation to climate change. Some species can, for instance, adapt to the sea rise level. They provide, of course, a great barrier to coastal erosion and all the different storms and different large waves that you will be getting more and more due to climate change. And at the same time, they play a great role for uh, carbon sequestration. Uh, Mangroves is forest, and it's the best forest at capturing and sequestering carbon by far. I mean, they can store more than four times the amount of carbon compared to any rainforest. So this is interesting because I was I was thinking about this. I always hear about sort of blue carbon yeah. uh, and it being a blue carbon habitat. But help explain where where is that carbon being drawn from and how is it being held in a mangrove? Are there like bags of carbon? Or Yeah, the concept of blue carbon basically is the carbon sequestration in marine ecosystems. Ah, right. Okay. Here, the the mangrove are storing, it's the the most efficient carbon stock for blue carbon. Oh, wow. Okay. They are storing uh, carbon in their biomass. Okay. So they take on the carbon to grow, basically. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. They they capture from the leaves and they grow, they grow biomass and they they Mm -hmm. have carbon inside the growth of the tree. But also they help the long-term sequestration. And the long-term sequestration will be with the root system and in the sediment. Mm-hmm. So meaning that the transfer from the carbon captured by the plants will then be transferred for a long period of time in the, the sediments. In the sediment, right. Yes. And they're plants. I'm assuming here they're taking up carbon dioxide 
in their respiratory or the photosynthesis. Uh, and, and that's how they grow and build from the area. So th their lungs, they're pushing oxygen out basically as well. The key aspect here is that the carbon once captured will be sequestrated for years and years uh, in, the, in the sediment. That's why also it's very important to protect them uh, because to restore them, to have these lungs uh, getting all the carbon in the air, but also fixing the carbon for a long period of time. And if we don't have the mangroves anymore, then you start having erosion. And with the erosion, releasing all this capital. Uh, right off the sediment as well. So the root systems are not only depositing that carbon, but holding it down. Exactly. And fixing it. Yeah. All right. It's more complex than that. Yeah. I mean, the science on this is incredible. People are just simply finding out these kind of effects that happen in also different industries. But in the mangrove aspect, it's really important. You mentioned a thing about the wildlife and how the mangroves is almost like a home for all these species that migrate and live within the mangroves. You know, here in the UAE, I'll just give you an example. We have different types of uh, migratory birds that come in, the red shank, the dunlin, other animals that uh, feed, shelter and nest within the mangroves here in the UAE. We also have uh, like populations of red fox and short-nosed sand lizard. All these animals and species thrive and, and live and survive within our mangroves. Tell us more about the importance of mangroves to the wildlife that lives within it. Yeah, so mangroves is one of the greatest biodiversity reservoirs. And we need to emphasize that for the marine species, they almost all spend at some point in their life some time in the mangrove. Wow. They do not live all in the mangrove, of course, but it's major ecosystem for finding a shelter, yeah. for uh, reproduction, yeah. for uh, breeding, for uh, the juvenile to be uh, protected before they are big enough to go back to the sea. So um, the number is really high, like maybe 70 or 80% of marine species spend some time in the mangrove at some point, mainly for reproduction. So you're telling me that there's a sort of like cornerstone service to all of biodiversity that in the life cycle of any of these species, mangroves is featured. And so, you know, increasing that means you exponentially can impact positively all these other species in an ecosystem. Yeah. I myself remember when we were doing the mangrove tour in Abu Dhabi, there's a certain type of crab, and I don't remember off the top of my head what it is, but I know that all the birds, I used to be director of terrestrial biodiversity at the Environment Agency of Abu Dhabi, but a lot of the migratory birds, whether it be flamingos or uh, you know, plovers, will find some form of food, either in transition or in their migration, or have some nesting capability there. And I think it's really fortunate that we have it so close to the city. That's what I used to say, and I still say, that having mangroves so close to Abu Dhabi City is, is a blessing because we literally have true, the lungs in this biodiversity right at our front door. And the more I hear you speak, the more I realize how rich and how deep that is. And being able to work with mangroves, what we were doing at the Environment Agency and still do today was the marine protected areas. And we have the Marine National Park or the Mangrove Marine National Park, which is the one I'm talking about. But there are more than one million mangrove trees alone in that protected area. Like your perspective on, on these protected areas globally, you know, what can we do with marine protected areas and how critical is it to make sure we're protecting mangroves in these areas? Mangrove, it's essential to, to protect the mangroves right now. We, we've faced decreasing in mangrove surface worldwide tremendously since the 80s. 
they were used for agriculture, for aquaculture. They were used for timber. So they provide a lot of resources, but they were really overexploited. Could you explain how they're used in agriculture or aquaculture? I mean, I understand cutting them for timber, but what are you doing then with the otherwise? That you cut them for timber, and then most of the time also you have lo- like large deltas or ah, large right. area. They cut all the mangroves in order to do those bones. This is literally what we're doing with rainforest. They're doing with mangroves as well. It's, that's crazy. Just the same for a shrimp culture, for, for shrimp It's literally the, the depth of the water and the location is ideal for biodiversity, but we're, we can grow things there. True. Everything's good for aquaculture there. So it's fairly easy to, to do it. But once it's not efficient enough, mm-hmm. well, then you just cut the mangrove close to it and do another one. What do you see from your perspective in terms of marine protected areas? We're talking about, you know, losing mangroves across the world from the 80s. I know here we have a very large mangrove growing project and across the country, a lot of effort to grow mangrove. And now I realize how important that is. Every literally seedling or or sap or sprout we put in into the water. But what's your experience? Do you at Total Energies at the R&D Lab deal with these protected areas at all? Yeah, absolutely. We are supporting the, the, the protection of certain ecosystems for offsetting, but for protection of uh, mm-hmm. really key emblematic species and key emblematic habitats, which uh, the mangroves are. And uh, there are now some restoration also efforts. We've been working for several years on uh, solutions to efficiently restore mangroves, meaning not only replanting seeds and propagators with a by end like we used to do in, in many places. Mm. But in order to improve the efficiency of those efforts, we've developed some solutions, some modules, in order to uh, rebuild the hydro-sedimentary and hydrodynamics needed for the mangrove to regenerate. Because you, you need to settle down the suitable conditions for the mangrove to regenerate. You cannot just plant it here and exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. be washed, and it will the erosion, once started, will remain removing the, the mangrove. So we've been working a lot on that. We are piloting the solution right now in several countries. The effort here is that we should really focus on protection and restoration and having in directive in this vision of 2030 or even more than that, I'm sure we can bend the curve and restore all the mangroves and start not losing the the percentage of mangrove that we're losing every year, but starting building again and improving both the quality and the surface of mangrove. It's now totally feasible with what we have in hands. Yeah, that's great to hear. And, you know, in the UAE here, I'm I'm personally very happy that uh, there are a lot of directives and initiatives to kind of promote the mangroves, grow more trees, plant more of them around uh, the coastal areas. Uh, you know, I mentioned on in this season that I am a tour guide, and uh, this is one of my favorite things to do in the UAE, in Abu Dhabi specifically, to jump on a kayak and just you know, kayak around the mangroves here. There's a lot of facts that a lot of people don't understand about the mangroves and their importance to us culturally as well. For instance, we have a historic palace in the middle of the city of Abu Dhabi and parts of the roof of that palace are made out of mangrove branches and they support the structure of this palace. Historically, the mangrove trees is an important thing in, in the UAE Emirati culture, but also the efforts of the UAE to increase these national parks, uh, make it easier for people to visit natural spaces, uh, environmental tourism, and so on. You guys mentioned earlier the Mangrove Marine National Park here in Abu Dhabi. 
And the mission uh, and the vision of this place is literally to sustain a viable mangrove ecosystem that supports sustainable tourism and biodiversity value of the Abu Dhabi Emirate. This is the, the vision of this place, and it's doing fantastically. You have a lot of services. We were talking of biodiversity and ecosystemic services. So biodiversity is one, but you have all those other services provided by mangrove. That's regulation of climate and, and mm -hmm. water cycle. And also, of course, the, the cultural and uh, almost spiritual. Uh, yeah, absolutely. What, we're, what's interesting is we've been going down the sort of mangrove path here. And I think that's always easy for me to tackle because having that, had that history in terrestrial biodiversity. But, you know, you, you painted a picture right at the beginning, this sort of dual ecosystem sort of role where corals is the other half of the you know, subterranean or the seascape, and I like that word, seascape that you painted. What can you tell us then from a coral perspective about what they're doing in terms of, you know, a blue carbon or perhaps what they're doing for, you know, the climate story? The corals is a very rich ecosystem and they are home to, to more than a quarter than the, the living organism in the marine area. Of course, there is some classification and they're growing and uh, you can count the carbon from those structures. But more of that is really the living organisms and all the, the life that are in a, such a small area that is a concentration of, of biodiversity and life. And, and, and when you say you can measure, are it, what is it at the lab that you're doing with the mangroves and the corals? Like, What does your job entail with these two specific ecosystems? For corals as well, we have been developing solutions to uh, have a better restoration mm -hmm. for corals than what we used to do. What you used to do normally when you have a, an impact on corals or when you want, want to do a next um, a new restoration on a new site, you need to transplant. So if you transplant the corals, uh, you have only few of those species that are actually uh, living in the end. So a very low rate of efficiency of what you've been putting in mind. But now with the, the artificial reefs that we've been developing, we are using them also to collect naturally the seeds, mm -hmm. the larvae from LC corals. Yeah. And then you can use this structure in order to bring the coral back to the place where you want. Uh, so it's not only picking the, the coral itself, but the whole structure that is naturally colonized and that will grow efficiently. Uh, once you amazing i wonder what other places around the world are impacted maybe more severely than others are there more locations where your work is is more important and critical yeah it's very important for us for a company like total energy because we are we are present uh, corals and mangroves basically you find them in any tropical area and we are present in more than 130 countries and we are present and operating in those tropical areas so for us of course we are operating with those different ecosystems or a close vicinity of those different ecosystems, both corals and mangrove, we are very present in, a, in the offshore industry. And um, we need to have the right solutions in order to have a better design for our projects and have better solutions to minimize and to uh, make sure that we put in place the, the, the right mitigation measures mm -hmm. for our projects to minimize our impacts. 
No, and that's so critical. And that's what I love. I'm known to Tal Energies has been working closely with the Environment Agency for a long time in Abu Dhabi to make sure that we have this hand-in-hand cooperation and to make sure that we have a lot of this returning back to the ecosystems. And I'm super glad we're talking. I think maybe why don't we explore what happens if we don't do these things? So paint a picture maybe for the listeners about if we're not protecting corals, if we're not protecting mangroves, what are the possible consequences? So we can, you know, understand the gravity of this. I don't want to be too pessimistic here, but... No, no. Um, it's a scenario. It, it's not where we're going. It's a scenario. It's actually a, a, a real and a true scenario. So we are now facing the sixth uh, mass extinction. Mm-hmm. So the rate at which species are disappearing, we have the extinction of certain species. Sadly so. tremendous rate that if we continue like that, well, basically it's the end of life on Earth. I mean, uh, so we need to make sure that now we, we change the way we are thinking about nature. We need mm-hmm. to change the way we're thinking about all this ecosystem in which we thought we could use them, we could manage them, we can even master them. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, we need to give them some space now and make sure that we give them all the proper condition for for all habitats and ecosystem and species living in it uh, to regenerate and regrow and bend the curve that we were saying before uh, in order to give enough space for them. They're resilient. Mm-hmm. You just leave them alone, they will regrow, they will re- rebuild, and uh, they will again, be pristine. Maybe for the listeners, I, I realize I understand what the curve is, but maybe the listeners don't. So why don't you explain very quickly when you say bend the curve? Absolutely. So the rate at which we lose biodiversity right now is very high. So if you like, you, we are on a... Yes, it's decreasing dramatically. We are on a steep curve, increasing mm-hmm. uh-huh. curve, and we're losing species every year. Right now, we need at all levels for the industry, mm-hmm. but also for the for the authorities, for the national authorities everywhere, and for the public, to change the way we are thinking about nature in order to have less biodiversity loss. Yeah, bend the curve, flatten it out. So the loss will not be as steep. And at some point, if we put in place some protection and some restoration initiatives, mm-hmm. at some point, we could even go back to the initial state and we could even regenerate but that, that, of course, it, it is uh, very much linked with protection and restoration, which is the key for the next decade. Yeah, I could I could also proudly say that the Environment Agency has a big hand in this, at least I know from the terrestrial biodiversity work. I used to be in charge of ex situ conservation, and we've reintroduced the scimitar horned oryx to a very large protection area in Chad. And it's those kind of initiatives, as you say, you need protected areas so that you can safely return these animals without... Uh, you know, disruption and in quantities that allow them to create a foothold because you can't put out one or two animals. You need to put, you know, a herd out so that they can naturally reproduce and naturally grow diversely and take a foothold again in the environment. But yeah, that's uh, thank you for the explanation. I wanted to make sure our listeners caught that as well. Yeah, I was going to mention, uh, of course, your pessimism is rightly placed. You know, it's it's not an easy uh, situation that we're going through. and 
the good work that you guys are doing and the environmental agency is doing and all the efforts globally is kind of uniting people to produce at least a roadmap for us to kind of follow and pursue. And you mentioned a question about resiliency, how resilient these animals and plants and, uh, and, and these environments are. And I want to know your thoughts about that issue. How resilient is some of our corals and mangroves and so on? And how uh, are they able to recover? Are they able to recover quickly and fast and reproduce and become healthy? Yeah, thanks. It's, it's a very important question and it's the key for me to the solution. Okay, I was pessimistic when I presented mm -hmm. the, the massive erosion of biodiversity, but I'm still very optimistic and I'm sure that we can still do the proper thinking. We have the good scientific basis in order to put the, the right initiative in, in, in the real world. So we need to implement those right now. Then not just ideas. We really need to mm -hmm. implement them on the field. And the ecosystems are very resilient. If you give them the proper condition and the suitable condition, environmental condition, for them to rebuild, they will regrow. Mangrove can regenerate in a couple of years. In like three or four years, you will start seeing big trees as it was before. Corals, it's the same. We've been testing uh, several uh, materials in order to collect larvae from other corals. Yeah. And uh, actually, we can see corals growing in several months or several years, a couple of years. So really, when the right conditions are there, and it's just a matter of willing, uh, we, we, we can regenerate those ecosystems very rapidly in, in, a, mm -hmm. in a couple of years. I wonder if we can push a bit further into that, like give us an example of a positive outcome, a success story, if you may, something that happened that kind of almost surprised you or, or something from the work that you've done that you think should be shared. We mentioned both tests and pilots around the mangrove regeneration and the way that we can actually build some uh, modules that could be used in order to give immediately all the services, the ecosystem services from the mangrove. Of course, you, you don't have the mangrove yet, but just having this protection from the module itself mm. uh, gives a shelter to the fishes that want to breathe there and gives uh, a protection for the shoreline. So you already recover most, not all, of the, the mm. ecosystemic services provided by the mangrove. And then when you have all the protection, you will have the proper the sedimentation will be there and all the, the ground will be ready mm -hmm. for the mangrove to regenerate. That's one of the, the, the main aspects that we need to realize that actually it's not a matter of us trying, but it's a matter of us letting the nature get its own place. That's, that's always, I mean, if you leave nature well alone, <laughs> it will do just fine. And that always makes me think about the protected areas are great in that you can shelter off and protect those natural spaces, especially in the marine. You know, the UAE is proudly well above the minimum requirements for marine protected areas. Not to mention on top of that, there have been action plans and protection of mangroves, long-term survival from the EAD. These action plans have really helped create large forests and Ultimately, assessment, rehabilitation programs, long-term monitoring, and we've spoken to some guests on the show that do that, the habitat mapping, and that both mangrove and you know corals, all these marine protected areas are critical. We even have, you know, and they're protected by federal law as well uh, here in the UAE. So with all of that said, from the international perspective, what more can we do to help? Or perhaps what should we not be doing? 
Well, what we should do is realizing that it's still time to have a positive impact on what we're doing. Yeah. And really, I think it's the key message here is that altogether, industry, government, all the public, everyone at home can have an impact and a positive impact. Mm -hmm. And that's what we need to change. We need to change the, the spirit of the industry for the last decades having a negative impact mm -hmm. to what we all see now and trying to build this positive impact and being nature positive, being able to bend that curve, being able to have all those initiatives at all different scales, at large scale for a large company like us and at small scale for each and every one of us. And I think from that, well, we are still in time to, to, to face this big challenge and uh, have a, a positive outcome. Let's hope so. And and speaking of uh, positive outcomes, uh, maybe from your perspective, you can explain to us how we can in, change an enriched mindset and become more nature positive. How can we do that in our personal lives? Well, in our personal life, to consider um, how much we consume. I mean, it's all based on what we need and what we consume in terms of energy, in terms of food, in terms of clothes that we want. And I'm not trying to say that okay, we need to be back at what we used to be uh, several years ago. Yeah, right? live a primitive life. No, yeah, no, not, no, no, at no all. not at all. I like technology and I like the way we are living right now in, in 2022. But we really need to be conscious about what we do actually have an impact. Mm -hmm. And it can have either a negative or a positive impact. And trying each and every one of us could think about, okay, what can I do in terms of uh, buying food and buying clothes and buying a couple of things that I do every day, which have an impact. Yeah, there's there's something to be said about understanding how much the impact of what you do on the daily in terms of purchasing these things in excess that have this upstream effect to these ecosystems. Never, and, there's, and that's why I love biology, nature, and all this whole space uh, is that it's all tied together. It's all one big web. We are all interacting with, with these different aspects. And you can have a direct impact where you go into an ecosystem and you are either supporting it, you are not polluting, right? That's the other thing is that when you do visit diving or when you're on the beach that you respect these environments, but at the same time, when you go for a burger, <laughs> which I tend to do every so often, you're not doing that in excess. Like you say, you don't want to go back into sort of sort of prehistoric or, or old times, but you do want to respect what you're consuming and just in moderation uh, do a lot of that. And that said, I think both Abderhatman and I always ask, so what about awareness? How do we raise awareness to to get everybody on this path, right? There, there is the action, but how do we raise the awareness to this action? Well, this podcast is a great way to do it. I'm trying to... Mm -hmm. That's a good start. <laughs> ...show this, uh, this subject to, 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 to many people. And as you were saying, I think the best way is to go there, actually. Yeah. Go visiting those areas, go visiting those ecosystems and trying to learn and to know more about it by getting a kayak or a paddle or diving or going to or walk on the beach or in the forest. Mm -hmm. Any type of environment, as much as you can, if you're familiar with it, you will learn from it and you will be more careful about it. 
That's true. And at some point, uh, I had to do some research for my master's thesis. And my research focused on renewable energy, something completely different in a way. But uh, what I learned from that experience is research is very detail-oriented and not a lot of people get the specifics and the details. And when people do go to nature, sometimes they're not really aware of the importance and the seriousness of environmental degradation, their carbon use. And so I wonder if you have kind of came up with a way or you've witnessed or are you familiar with a way of educating people to not just go to nature and experience it, but also learn from it and appreciate the efforts that it takes to maintain it? Well, it's all connected, as you were saying before. All the different ecosystem and the protected area, they will play a role one with each other. And it's all interconnected. And that's where it actually starts being complicated and interesting. Mm -hmm. But we need more science to understand that. That's true. But we will do that with academics and with the institute, trying to understand the structure of the ecosystem, the food webs, and how the species interact with each other. But for the local public, really, um, for the kids and, um, and everybody at home, trying to have a good understanding of these different ecosystem and trying to spend time in it really would be uh, for me the, the, the most uh, the most valuable information. I'm, I'm already thinking I need to book as fast as I can my family and everybody in my circle of friends to go and do a mangrove planting. I think in this whole discussion, I've sort of realized like sort of dawning on me. And again, you know, I've seen them every time I drive to work when I was at the environment agency and you see them. And what I like about this conversation is it refreshes the perspective again. And I think that's another thing with awareness is you have to come at it at a new angle. You have to, whether we're doing a podcast or there's social media sound bites or whatever, to refresh the importance of these things and give new perspective on them. And I think that's super exciting to get a global perspective from you, Thomas, and, and to have us discuss about Abu Dhabi. There are a lot of different opportunities out there. And I think really what I'd encourage the listeners to do is really go and look for for the opportunity to go plant mangroves or to do something like we've talked before about citizen scientists, get involved with it. Go out and take a leap of faith and just go to the beach in a different context, right? It's not about just going and sunning and playing ball. And now let's go and plant some mangroves. <laughs> Roll your sleeves up as there it There we were. go. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> Well, listen, Thomas, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you, Thomas. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. So thanks again, Thomas Merzi, Biodiversity and Environmental Genomics R&D Leader at Total Energies. As always, Abdurrahman, why don't you tell everybody how they can engage? All right, folks, as always, uh, get in touch, reach out with your comments or even a story to tell. Tell us what you thought about this podcast and this episode. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn at Environment Abu Dhabi, one word. You can also find us on our website or on YouTube, Environment Agency Abu Dhabi. Give us a like and hit subscribe wherever you find or listen to your podcasts. So that's it from us. Me, Majid. And Abdurrahman. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks, guys.